What's that old saying? If that doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet, or something like that. Thank you. Good morning. In a little while, I'll uh, be reading from the book of Exodus, chapters 33 and 34. But I have some catching up to do before we get to those verses. I'm reminded, uh, as I was putting all these notes together, I was reminded of an experience that I had a week ago yesterday. Jeanette and I went to a school reunion, and uh, they had lunch. Well, after in the afternoon, we were the ladies were going to a ladies' thing, and we men were picking them up. We were going to go out to eat dinner. So I knew I was going to be eating a, a full meal for dinner that day. So I thought, as I'm going through the the buffet line, it was one of those covered dish things, you know. But going through there, I'm thinking, I'm just going to get a little bit. I'm just going to get a little. And not eat much because we're going to have such a, a big, large meal this evening. So I got a little bit of this. Then I got a little bit of that. Then I got a little bit of this. And I said, well, that right there looks good. The time I got through, I needed those sideboards on my plate. And then I had to get dessert because there were coconut pie there. You know, and I, I did forego the banana pudding, so that was quite a sacrifice there. You say, why are you telling that story? Because... I have such a, a wide variety of, of text here. It's such a long thing to cover. i got a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there, a little bit, and I've got my plate full, so let me get right into it right quick. Uh, as I said, after a while, I'll be reading, Lord willing, from, willing from Exodus 33, beginning with verse 1, but uh, I think we need to summarize the events that led up to that particular part uh, in our text. Uh, as you remember the story of Israel coming out of Egypt, uh, you recall that they came across the Red Sea. We don't have time to go into all the detail on these things. I'm just going to hit some high points as we go through. Beginning in chapter 19, we have uh, events that led up to one of the most remarkable accounts of God revealing himself to man that we have recorded in Scripture. And, of course, that was up on Mount Sinai when he and Moses conversed with each other. What, what a remarkable story. But uh, Moses had led Israel out of Egypt and across the Red Sea, and they made their way to the wilderness of Sinai, camped near the mountain where Moses was going to go up and meet the Lord. <coughs> Chapters 19 through 31, which of course we're not going to read all those, <laughs> detail the times Moses went up on the mountain and met with the Lord, and there were times he came back down, but he heard from God there, and, and there's a lot that took place during those chapters, so fasten your seatbelts because we've got a lot of ground to cover before we actually get to the message itself. Of course, it was there on the mountain that God uh, gave Moses the law and uh, it culminated with the presenting to Moses the tablets, the two tablets of stone on which God himself wrote the Ten Commandments with his own finger. Isn't that remarkable? Just think about something like that if you were to have it. Well, I'm glad we don't because people be worshiping that, huh? But meanwhile, back at camp, the people were getting worried. You see, Moses had been gone a long time. We're not sure exactly how many days at this time, but we do know that he was up there 40 days. But before the 40 days were up, the people started getting worried about Moses. Uh, since he had left this last time, the, the days had actually turned into weeks. And it seemed to me as if the problem that they had was that Moses, to them, represented the presence of God. And if Moses was not there and he stayed gone so long, that, to them, made them fear that God was not with them. And I based that upon something that they did. And that is, they came to, uh, these people came to Aaron, who was Moses' brother, and talked him into, it wasn't hard to do, by the way, talked him into building or, or making idols, especially the golden calf. And here's the way they put it, because these will be gods who shall go before us. 
They missed the real God as far as they were concerned and they needed a God of some kind, form or fashion that they could relate to to go before them. They intended to continue their trek over to the promised land and if, if Moses wasn't there, they were going to get some God to represent the God. And perhaps they were so quick to do this because back in Egypt they had actually worshipped other gods. You say, well, it doesn't say so right here. I understand. But in Joshua 24, the very well-known uh, admonition that Joshua gave to Israel before he died, Joshua 24, 14, and 15, he said, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. This is the part I want to emphasize. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father, that your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But the point is, he came out and said that your fathers actually worshipped other gods over in Egypt. So it wasn't a far stretch for them when they saw that Moses was gone so long and in fearing that God was not with them that they would build to themselves or make for themselves a false god. And then to make matters worse, when they talked Aaron into doing it and he made the, the, this golden calf and he presented the idol to the people, they said in Exodus 32 and verse 4, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Listen, they just now made the thing. They just now forged the thing out of gold, and now they were bowing down to it and giving this God credit for bringing them, the so-called God, credit for bringing them out of Egypt. Uh, and then Aaron really wasn't helping at all, was he? In fact, it says in verse 5, this is Exodus 32 and verse 5, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, but here's what he said. We're going to make a proclamation Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. What? They just made an altar, I mean a, a golden calf to worship, and now they think that they can kind of mix in combining worship of a golden calf with the worship of Jehovah God, which of course is never going to happen. Of course God knew what was going on the whole time when he was conversing with Moses up on the mountain. So he told Moses, you need to go back down because your people are in a heap of trouble. And so Moses left and and uh, he, he uh, gave an intercessory prayer on behalf of the people that's worth noting in chapter 32, verses 11 through 14. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountain, to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and anger, return from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. In all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster he had spoken of bringing to his people. God told Moses, I'm going to destroy them. And Moses reminds God that they are his people. By the way, God had referred to them as Moses' people. They're the ones that your, your people are down there. But now Moses reminds as if God needed reminding. But anyway, this is what Moses did. These are really your people. And he reminded God of all the things he had done bringing them out of Egypt. He reminded God, to, or he appealed to God to think about 
what would happen to his name and his honor and his glory if they actually destroyed the people after bringing them out of Egypt. And he reminded about the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and actually renewed even with him. And by grace and mercy, God relented of what he was going to do in destroying the people. He told Moses, I'm going to destroy them and start all over with you. And Moses interceded for the people. In verses 30 through 32, here's part of the intercession. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin. So Moses returned to the Lord, and now I will go up to the Lord, perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gold, the gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, Please blot me out of your book that you have written. It's getting pretty severe, isn't it? Thankfully, God's response was God's response. He said, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord sent a plague. The Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf. And the one, the one that Aaron made. Now, that kind of brings us up to date <laughs> very quickly to our text for uh, today. And uh, the vast majority of what I'll be speaking to you, kind of like what I just got through doing, that be, be rehearsing the text and then make a couple of applications at the end. But lengthy reading, so bear with me. Begin Exodus 33, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Depart. Go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring will I give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. And no one put on his ornaments. For God had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now Moses used, used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand in his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. <coughs> when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, Please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, 
If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for a man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were in the first tablet, which you broke. Be ready by the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you. Let no one be seen throughout all the mountains. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for a thousand, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth and the fourth generation? And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. And he said, Behold, I am making a covenant before all your people I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. And I say, Amen. And may God add his blessings to the reading of his word today. The first section that I want to cover I'm actually going to break it down into two sections, and they each of them sort of kind of circle around one of the requests or the pleas, or you can call it a prayer of, of Moses. I, I've read several different places. Some people say that one of the ways to learn to pray better is by reading the, the prayers or listening to the prayers of pra- good prayers. Does that make sense? Prayers. You know what I'm talking about. There are just some people that we know that are good prayers. And some people, I really want praying for me. You know, when I'm thinking about uh, prayer warriors, there are certain people that I know. There was a church member we had that years ago in Lubbock that told me one time, she said, little pastor, and she was old enough to be my grandmother, by the way. She said, little pastor, if you ever have trouble sleeping at 5 o'clock in the morning, you just know that Miss Crooks is praying for you. I wanted her praying for me. These are some good prayers. Moses was a good prayer. These are some good prayers for us to look at and and there are more than these two, I know, that are included in the section. But the first is the text around it about Moses' prayer that he asked this, Show me your ways, there in chapter 33, the first 17 verses. 
As we go through these verses, we find, first of all, and there are many other points we could make. I've got to hurry through them because of time. We find, first, first of all, that God is serious about sin. Did you notice that? It's not a trivial thing to him. What they did in, in making this golden calf and worshiping it and claiming that this is the God that brought us out of Egypt and this is the God that's going to go before us was not a small matter to him. He took it so seriously, he said, I'm not going to go with you because if I go with you, I will consume you because of their sin. Did you know that God is serious about sin? Let me, let me tell you how serious he is. Boy, is this a preaching point that I would have more time and it needs to be preached a, a lot. He's so serious that his son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross because of my sin. Now, we would like to point our fingers at the Pharisees at the other Jews in that day, uh, at the Romans who nailed him to the cross, and say, those are the people who are guilty of the blood of Jesus. But I want to tell you something, I'm just as guilty as any of them. God was so serious about my sin and your sin, as well as the sin of the people that he sent Jesus Christ to the cross. He is serious about sin. We find in verses 4 through 6 that the people, well, let me read it. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments. It broke their heart. Isn't that the way sin ought to be when we... We sin, we're convicted of it, we mourn because why? God said, I'm not going to go with you. I'm not going to go because if I did, I would consume you when I saw you. So, the people heard this and they mourned and no one put on their ornaments. The Lord said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. Now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Then we read verses 7 through 11. We read a while ago about the tent of meeting. This evidently was Moses' own tent that he set up outside the camp and called it the tent of meeting. And there the Lord would, uh, would meet with, in fact it said, whoever wanted to, 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 to approach the Lord would go to this tent of meeting. And, and yet there were, there were times when Moses would go down, the cloud would come down, which signified the presence of God. And people would stand in their tent door watching to see what was going to take place. And God would come down and meet with Moses. In fact, it said later on that God spoke with Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Yes. Tell me some other example in the scripture that says that about anybody else. And I don't know that it's worded anywhere else in the scripture like that. But anyway, uh, the, that was a tent of meeting. And then verses 12 and 13 is what I want to get to first of all, to first of all in this, this first uh, section. Moses, verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. God had already assured Moses of his special presence. All the way, he said, I'm going to go with you to the promised land. He first said, I'm going to send an angel. <laughs> that was disastrous to the people that he was going to send an angel. By the way, how would you like it? Seriously, I'm serious. How would you like it if you were to hear from God and God said, I'm going to send my special angel to watch out for you? Sure. Well, well, he's already done that. Sure. How do you like that? <laughs> anyway, wouldn't that be something... But what if you had the choice between an angel and God himself? That makes that angel look pretty weak. It makes it look like it's useless. Or he or she or it, there's no male. You know what I'm saying. And it's kind of like a, I was in the, in the hospital 
few months ago in the emergency, and uh, Matei called and said, what are you doing there? I said, well, I'm in an emergency. And he said, yeah, but you don't need to go there. You need to go to the, you need to go to the hospital where Dr. Masari is. Anybody know Dr. Masari? He is, he is my, I'd already seen him once. And so he said, you need to tell him to take you to regional. So I told the, the male nurse, and he said, you know, any, any cardiologist can treat AFib. I said, why should I settle for any cardiologist when I've got the best? <laughs> Amen? Yeah. You see what I'm talking about? Whether you know him or not, that, that was my attitude and my response. I feel like Jason now. <laughs> That's not it. bad. Anyway, so why would they settle for an angel if God himself would come? Anyway, you can see what I'm talking about. So God prayed. God assured, uh, Moses prayed. God assured him that that he was going to go with them. God had confirmed that Moses had found favor in his sight. And all this had happened, but this wasn't enough for, for, for Moses. He wanted more. And, and so he made this plea. If I found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways. What are your ways? God's word translation puts it this way. If you are, if you are, if you really are pleased with me, kind of like that, if you really are pleased with me, show me your ways that I may that I can know you and so that you will continue to be pleased with me. Remember, this nation is your people. I, I, I never read the International Children's Bible, but it translates, show me your plans. And that kind of fits as well there. But the thing of it is that Moses had at least three things in mind with his pleas. We see it in the verse. He said, show me your ways that I may know you. He already knew him, right? He had already met him face to face before, in a sense, before, in another place of the burning bush, where God spoke to him there, and you know the experience there. He'd already met with God in that sense. He'd already heard from God. He'd already had already been told by God some of His ways. And I'm sending you back because the cries of my people have come up to me, and I've listened to their cries. And I'm sending you back to Egypt to to lead them out. And so Moses knew something of the ways of God, but he wasn't satisfied with that. He wanted more. And he said, in order to find favor in your sight. But God had already told him, you found favor in my sight. Well, Moses wanted more. And he also wanted to remind God that these are his people. They're not just Moses' people, they're God's people. And did God answer his prayer? Well, the psalmist in Psalm 103, verse 7, said this. He, talking about God, made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. And that answer to Moses' request for showing him his way is summarized in, I think in verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I will know you, and I know you by name. Now pardon me if I, if I move on to the second point and make application to that first point later. The second portion of the scripture that I've read centers around the, the request in that he said, he asked in verse 34, I mean, in verse 18, he said, Please show me your glory. I wish we could count there a little bit longer. and Maybe I should have just concentrated on this as being the message for the day. I'm not sure. But uh, this is quite a request that he made. And I'm not, I'm not sure. I wonder if Moses really understand what he was asking. Let, let's be honest about it. How many of us have ever, I'm going to use the word audacity, been brave enough, bold enough, had the audacity to pray to God, show me your glory. I'll get to that in a little bit, what that doesn't mean, as well as what it means. But anyway, I'm not sure. But regardless, it seems that God was really pleased with Moses. 
and his longing to know him in greater and deeper ways. Look at what Moses already gotten from God. I've rehearsed a couple of them a while ago. God had met him on the mountain and gave him the law. Moses already experienced that the first time up. God had told him he was ready to destroy Israel, but he's going to start all over with him, Moses. Even though it's disastrous about the, the people of Israel, that's quite a, a statement to say that I'm going to keep you, destroy everybody else, but I'm going to keep you, and I'm going to start all over with, with you. Well, of course, Moses interceded for the people on their behalf. And God had met with him in the tent of meeting over and over again. God had talked to Moses face to face as a man talks to his friend. God had assured Moses that he would be with him instead of sending an angel. God had assured Moses that he had found favor in his sight. God had told Moses that he, God, knew him by name. Knew Moses by name. But Moses wanted more. So he asked God to show him his glory. And you can read for yourself how God graciously answered this lofty request. He said, I, I, got, I got to tell you something. This is McCaber, unauthorized, okay? Yeah, I got to tell you something, Moses. You cannot do totally what you've asked. That is seen. There, there, no man can see me and live. But I'm going to grant you a request in this regard. Here's this, this cleft in a rock here. And I'm going to put you in there. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to put my hand over you so you cannot see my face. And I'm going to pass by. And after I pass by, I'm going to let my hand, take my hand away. And you can see my different opinions of his, his train. Some think it's a train from Isaiah. I saw the Lord high lifted up his train build the temple. It, it, the, just the result of his... Anyway... He was able to see the back part, so to speak, of God. That's the first time anybody had been able to do that, even that much. And so God protected him through it, but he granted his prayer and let him see what, uh, what he only he could let him see. And uh, i got, I got to move on to application because our time is getting pretty short here, and I, I do have, I think, some important applications. To the request, show me your ways. Moses had, as I said, had already learned much about God's ways, but he evidently knew he had much yet to learn. That was a, a time that uh, some ladies in, in the church where I was pastoring asked me if I would teach a class of ladies so that they could better understand <laughs> their husbands and how they could could meet the needs of their husband. Now, the ladies approached me and asked me to, to teach that class. I said, sure, I'll be happy to. When I was telling different ladies in the church about it, one of the ladies told me, you can't tell me anything that I need to know about my husband. I don't already know. I said, you're probably right. I probably couldn't tell her anything. But Moses wasn't like that. He knew a lot already, but he wanted to know more. So he asked the Lord to show me your way. He'd already found favor in God's eyes, but he wanted to please God more. So he said, show me your way. Do you dare to make this your prayer? Lord, show me your way. If you do, if this is what you desire, let me, I don't know if I say warn you or caution you or whatever, but there's some things to consider about God's ways. In Luke 9, 23 and 24, listen to what is part of God's way. He, that Jesus, said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it, but whosoever loses his life for my sake shall save it. What do he say? Here's my way. If you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, follow me. That's the way it's going to take. You're going to have to die to self. Are we willing to do that? 
Not very often. Self doesn't want to die. Have you ever noticed that? Self doesn't want to die. It's kind of like a good friend of mine wrote a song. It's kind of a, it's, it's a humorous, true song. He said, I keep sitting up in the casket. Sin keeps coming through. I keep sitting up in the casket. Lord, what can I do? I know that I'm dead to sin, but time and time again, I keep sitting up in the casket, Lord, trying to live again. And that's the truth, isn't it? Self doesn't want to die. But Jesus said, here's my way. You've got to crucify self. You've got to die. You've got to take up your cross daily. And that's, what, that's, that's not just taking up a burden, a cross to bear. That's actually dying. Matthew 5, 11 and 12. Blessed are you when others revile you and, per, uh, and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What? I thought when I, when I get saved, everything's going to be fine. Nah. He said, here's what's going to happen. You're going to suffer persecution. There are going to be people that will say all things about you falsely because of me. But blessed are you then. Now that's the way of God. 1 Peter 3, 17. It is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. It's a different one, isn't it? You mean it could be God's will for me to suffer? It's right there. I'm not making it up. This is part of God's way. Matthew 10, 34 through 39. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whosoever or whoever loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So those are some samplings of the way of the Lord for our Christians today. Now, by the way, there, there's more to the story than that. I don't mean to, to discourage you from, from praying, show me your ways, because there are some very positive things as well of walking with the Lord in fellowship. As, as David said, Yea, though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. And to know the presence of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the answered prayers and the, and the assurance in your heart of, of Him loving you and knowing you as, as, as His children, there are a lot of positive but Moses wanted to know the way of God. But he wanted to know it not just for to, to be increasing in knowledge. You, you know what I'm saying? It's not that he was, uh, Chad, not he was taking seminary courses to get a degree, degree in theology, right? He really wanted to know the ways of God. Why? So he could walk in them. He wanted to know the path that he was going to take in the future. Not just to be smarter. Not just to be blessed, but to walk in those ways. What path to follow? The path, of the, the path God wants Christians today to follow is partially described by those verses I read. And as I said, there are also some positive things as well. The next prayer, show me your glory. Some application. Think of all the good and noble things that you pray for. You pray for your family. Amen. It's good. Pray for your church. Amen. Your, your elders. Amen. Go ahead and name it. So I just read that on recently about this is a, not the rest, best thing to do for a pastor to preach and say amen, trying to, to get people to agree with you when they don't. But I believe this is right. You pray for these. You pray for your own efforts, what you're doing. God bless the, the things I have to do today. You pray for your government leaders. We're told to do that. 
You pray for children and teachers. There was a lady's meeting recently that you prayed for the children going back to school and hopefully you pray for the teachers as well and, and so on and so forth. You pray for the sick, right, and the dying, and their families. You, you pray for lost relatives and friends and neighbors and these are all good and noble things to pray for and they ought to be on our prayer list. But now I'm asking you, have you ever prayed, Lord, show me your glory? You say, well, sure I have. I've always prayed, God, I want you to get all the honor and the glory from all this. That's not the same. We're not talking about seeing God be glorified because God is going to be glorified. That's what I'm saying. Whether you do it or not, whether I give him glory or not, God is going to be glorified. And Moses isn't talking about, Lord, you get all the glory from this. He said, Lord, show me your glory. There's a difference in that. He wanted to see God himself. I understand that the word show me your glory could also be translated weight, that which makes you what you are. So anyway, this is talking about praying that you might personally see God's glory yourself. Now I guess you're going to remind me what God told Moses Preacher, remember, God told Moses, no man can see me and live. So, no, I'm not going to pray for God to show me his glory when I know it's not going to happen. Well, i got good news for you. I can tell you how you can see the glory of God. And in doing that, I'll point you to Jesus Christ, his son. There's so many verses I could go to that uh, show that Jesus perfectly fulfilled this prayer, this request to show me your glory. My favorite is John 1.14. You say you have favorite scripture? Yeah, I do. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Listen to this. The glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Then we read Colossians 1, 15-20. He, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have the preeminent. Now listen. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You're talking about seeing the glory of God? Look to Jesus Christ, his son. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Listen, listen to this. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. They have the same DNA. Uh, I know literally not, but that's an application. Humor me there a little bit. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And then there's that passage that Matei read earlier, John 14, 1 through 10. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? So my question for you is, do you desire to see the glory of God? And if your answer is yes, then I point you to no other place than his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior and, uh, and Lord of all. And I can assure you on the authority of God's word that uh, the only way in time and in eternity that you can really see the Father in all his glory is through his son, Jesus Christ. Salvation on this earth and eternal life in heaven is the way it happens. And the good news is, I like that word good news, don't you? good news is you can know him, the Lord Jesus Christ, and through him, the Father. That's what we call redemption, salvation. We don't have time to go through all that, but it's simply put the good news of the gospel. That is, we are all sinners, every one of us. Every one of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all are helpless in that. We can do absolutely nothing about it. We will never take the first step toward God, but God took the step toward us by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to pay for our sins. And that uh, salvation that He brought is readily available to you. You say, how? Repent and believe. That's what Jesus Himself said, by the way, in the book of Mark, when Jesus came preaching. That's what He preached, repent and believe. And we invite you to repent and believe today. And you can... Not, not with these eyes, I understand that, but through eyes of faith and very real experience of meeting Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will, in essence, see the glory of God. Uh, let's just pray. Keith is going to come, and, and we're going to have a song right quick. Then we'll be through. We have the Lord's Supper. To, so you'll hear more and see more examples of the redemption and the salvation through Jesus through that. Father, we thank you for loving us like you do, sending Jesus, that through him we can know you and know your glory. May that be our experience today in Jesus' name.